Well, good morning. You're alive and awake. Yay. All right. Well, it's good to be here. So this morning, I'm going to talk about something that nobody likes to talk about, but we all go through, and that's suffering. And you know, this week, I happened to get a little um, advanced uh, suffering going on so that I could really talk legitimately about suffering. So I've had the shoulder ache going on for quite some time, and so my doctor's appointment finally came up this week, and so you get through the first round, they do the MRI, no big deal, okay, all's well, nothing hurts. Then you go to the second round, they say, we're going to freeze it. And I was like, okay, no big deal. Big needle coming through, but no big deal. Okay, I didn't like it, but all right. We got through it. And then you go to the next doctor, and they say, okay, we're going to have to take a bigger needle and go through that so we can see something that it's like, oh, no, no, oh, no, you didn't. You know, I have been, wait a minute. (laughs) I I didn't sign up for this. I just want you to check it, and then I'll figure out if I want y'all to do that stuff or not. So anyway, by the time they stuck me, I mean, I was done. I like stayed at home and said, I'll be working from home the rest of this week. That's how bad it was. But anyway, God is good. But I got that little course on suffering just a little, as a little reminder that, you know, sometimes when you think it's a little thing, it's not such a little thing. It becomes a bigger thing than what you realize. You know, when I was a little girl, my grandfather used to sit and tell us, you know, He would mainly tell us, you know, at a particular time, like when all of his little grandchildren were all fighting and making a big fuss, he would sit down and he would tell us, you know, you shouldn't fight. You should love each other. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, you tell us that you went to World War II and you fought. Little smart aleck, little granddaughter, the only granddaughter I have. Of course, I always found the holes in his story. And he said, well, no, that's a that's, a, that's different. Okay. All right, so it's different. And I was like, well, how is it different? It's because I wouldn't live in a country that I would not be willing to fight for. And I thought, that's actually really good. That's a good thing. I'll remember that. And I did remember that. You know, I loved my grandfather. I was super close with my grandfather. But anyway, so I ended up doing a little bit of research about World War II. And what I found out is that we really weren't at war. We were allies for Great Britain and also the Soviet Union. And it was actually the very first peacetime military draft that was ever done in America. And so what America had to do is move swiftly to get resources and to get people, human resources, all kinds of stuff in order order for us to become the ally that we needed to be in this war. Well, so what ended up happening is 61% of the people were actually drafted, but 39% signed up as a volunteer. Oh, Jesus. They signed up for that. And I thought, I wonder if they knew what they were getting into ahead of time. I'm not sure that they did. Once they signed up and they went to war, they immediately left their civilian life that may have been a little cushy, and they were dropped into military training. They were stripped of their freedom as they knew it, and now suddenly they got this strict military conduct that is expected of them, along with routine inspections, rigorous physical and combat training, 
They had identical haircuts, identical outfits, and identical equipment. Not just that, the military had never been larger than it was at that time. So they ended up with trouble actually feeding all of the people. So they came up with this new thing, this new campaign, where they were going to make leftovers a big deal. So now leftovers, they called it food for victory. And this is where leftovers became popular. It became very popular to learn how to make something from nothing. They were assigned to barracks. They had no privacy at all, none whatsoever. There was no space for personal belongings. Their American dream changed quite a bit. Suddenly, everything in their life was about a patriotic duty between our human nature, our privileged life, and the American dream, suffering had little to do with what was normal for them. We kind of go through this with God. When we first come to Christ, we usually come with some sort of a crisis that we're facing in life. And we come to him and we say, God, will you help me? And what we don't understand is sometimes there's a little bit of suffering involved in order for us to get where God wants us to be. There may be things he's calling you to give up. You may need to get freedom from something. You, you may de need deliverance. You may need to know how to hope again and how to find your dreams. You may have all kinds of stuff that you've never really had opened up in your life before. Sometimes we run into difficulty, theological gaps inside of our head when we think of a God that actually lets us go through tragedy, incurable diseases, injustices, and poverty. We face suffering when we can't talk about God's love and instead we're talking about our suffering. It's like, wait a minute, I got this big gap between this God of love and this God that lets me hurt. I myself have struggled with that. We judge him in the face of pain. We say, God, I'm not sure that you are who, you, who I think you are if you're going to let me suffer like this. And God's eyes just watch you. You can feel him watching you, but you're not real sure what he's saying. 1 Peter 4.13 says, it says we are to rejoice in partaking in Christ's sufferings because through them we will see his glory and be filled with joy. The commentary of that scripture says rejoicing is the opposite of being bewildered. Well, I don't know about you, but when I get in a lot of pain, I'm a little bewildered. I mean, I get in this state of... <laughs> Really, God, just, you know, I just want to do whatever it takes to get out of the pain. I mean, I can tend to be a little wimpy when I get in too much pain. In the face of suffering, the scripture goes on to say that the more you rejoice, okay, so now you're talking not just suffering or just rejoicing through suffering. You're saying the more you suffer, and then the more you rejoice, the more you get to the glory of God. Oh, Jesus, no, not more. 
Yes, more. Jesus was known for being the suffering servant. It all starts with, this is my first point, story of Adam and Eve. Suffering was the result of sin and disobedience. In Genesis 3, 13 through 19, it says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and so I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And then to the woman, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife, and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. This scripture says a mouthful. It's almost like God said, all right, you know, enough. Adam, over there. You know how they do when they come in and do a drug bust or something? They, they break up everybody into different rooms and start getting their stories. It's almost like this is what happened. Eve, you over there. Adam, you over there. Snake, you just stay right there. And he begins to announce what's going to change as of a result of what has happened. So here's the breakdown of what that means for us in real time. Number one, snakes. Let's talk about snakes. <laughs> Snakes crawl instead of walk. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I can't imagine a snake that had feet and it's coming at me. And actually, when I did the research on this, it's true. And they even had a picture of what a snake looked like. It was a fossil. You know, what it looked like when it had feet. And even today, the DNA of a snake says that it has feet, but they just don't grow. I like that part. <laughs> what God said is forever. So now snakes crawl instead of walk. Number two, ladies, there is pain in childbearing. Can I get an amen? amen. Out. Yeah. Still there. Yep. That one's still going on too. Number three, men, you work hard for your food, don't you? We work hard by the sweat of your brow. Those things all came about as a result. But since that time, once those curses were spoken out, our hearts felt the distance between God. We knew that something different had taken place. Suddenly it's like heaven and earth were together. And once these curses and these sins entered in, now they're broken apart. And now man would simply look for God once again and say, how do I get that back? And we do. We strive and we struggle because we want that acceptance. We want God to show us who we are. We want to have that deep relationship with him. He's our father. So the heart of man looks for him. 
and wants him to be in our lives, it's natural to want that. Do you know the number one reason that a lot of kids get involved in, and they recruit children at a young age for gangs is because they need a place to belong. They want to know, who am I? Where do I go? What do I do? What's important? What's special? And when they come into these things, they, they tell them, you're special. You're different. We, wanna, we want you to be a part of us. And man longs for that. In Deuteronomy 28, it lays out how God's chosen people would suffer as he begins to clarify the curses as a result of disobedience. He said, it would affect your work. It will affect your children. It will affect your land, your resources, your health. And you will, on top of it all, you're going to be confused. When we get in disobedience, these things we see. We know that these things are in effect because we see them happening in our life. Then you have the story of Joseph where he suffered from the wrong choices of others even though he was a good guy. Suffering comes on us not just because of our sin or our disobedience, just because somebody else may not like you. In Joseph's case, he had these brothers. Joseph was kind of special. Daddy was a little partial toward Joseph. And so his brothers didn't like that. So one day he's gallivanting out to go and meet with his brothers, and his brothers are devising, how do we get rid of this little creep? I'm just kind of over him. Daddy's always so special with him. And suddenly he is plunged into this suffering situation where he suffers not just once because his brothers don't like him, but he goes into this ongoing, long, drawn-out years of suffering at the hands of brothers that did not like him, that decided one day they hated him and they wanted him out of their lives. They go back, they say, Daddy, something terrible's happened to him and he's not coming back. They throw him into a well. They decide the well is dry so he's not going to drown and die in there. So they pull him out. Some guys come along and they sold him off as a slave. There he goes off. He's a slave. He's working in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife is not such a nice person. She comes on to him. He rejects her. She gets mad. And she blames him for something he did not do. So off to prison he goes for years. But God was faithful even throughout those years. He had this awesome gift of interpreting dreams and the Pharaoh was interested in that. So what ends up happening is when he has a dream and all these other people couldn't interpret it, all of a sudden Joseph is interpreting the dreams. He's like, wow, that's cool. I, I kind of like that guy. But still, he's in, he's in prison sort of. He, he's, not, he's not really getting out and, and doing you know, his life the way he thought. But he's still finding a little favor. So even in his suffering, God had mercy. So he's falsely accused. He's forgotten about. 
He's forgotten about because he wants to get out, but they keep forgetting about him. They just call on him when they need him. Finally, one day, there, there was this great famine coming, and they were like, you know, I really like that guy. I think we're, let's pull him out and let's put him in charge of all of the food due to this famine. So he gets put in charge of everything. And he is a way up there guy. Finally, he's thinking, oh, wow, finally, some of the destiny that I always knew I had is starting to come about. It wasn't long before his brothers show up due to the famine. They did not have food. They show up, and he looks, and can you imagine how his heart was overwhelmed with emotion when he realizes these are my brothers that hate me? He's torn up inside. He's looking at them. He's got this love and then this thing in him that says, why do you hate me so bad? But he's got compassion. It takes him a while, but he finally reveals who he is to his brothers. And they are broken. They fall on their faces. They feel horrible. And they thought, he's going to kill us. He didn't do it. Long story short, he gets fully reconciled with his family. And at the end of it, he says to them, Genesis 50, 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know, we can't tell when we're suffering, what good is going to come from it? And Joseph couldn't tell for years what good could come from it. He stayed in a state of turmoil for a long period of time. But that one day it finally came and he saw his brothers all bowed down before him. The very thing that drew them to jealousy. And it certainly came to be because what God says will come to be. Now you have the story of Stephen. He suffered because of jealousy and hatred of certain people just because of what he believed in. He was full of God's grace. He was full of God's power. He was full of truth. He went around and he did miracles and signs and wonders. But because the religious of that time did not like the message that he was giving, he was stoned and killed. Acts 7.54 says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, he said, I see heaven open up. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This was for being a righteous man. Meanwhile, Witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. Wow, that goes on in the world today. People die for their faith. And pardon me while I take us on a little rabbit trail. Because I want us to observe a situation where God turned many circumstances around for good through his life. I want to talk about Saul. The young man named Saul. They were all throwing their coats down at Saul's feet. Saul was a persecutor of the Christians. He approved of the murder of Stephen. In his ignorance, he did not know what the truth was really all about. What's so ironic is that later on, the young man Saul, who they were throwing their coats at, would have an experience on the road to Damascus. And it would change his life forever. There he is, bebopping along, thinking he's all that plus some. I'm a Roman. This is what we do. This is how we roll. There they go. All of a sudden, lights started flickering around him, and he has this experience, this vision from God. And Jesus is looking at him saying, why are you hurting my people? And he wakes up out of his stupor, and he says, oh, Lord, you are Lord. And he figures it out. He's struck blind from that moment, and he goes and hangs out with his friend Judas until he can figure out who he is now. And then all of a sudden in Acts 9, 10 through 16, it says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. He was the high priest in Damascus. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, in other words, Lord, uh, like, no, this is the man. He said, I've heard many reports about this man and, and, the, and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Now, I can just, I agree with Ananias, kind of, not to try and be a religious person that I am, but if you tell me, God, you wake me up, and you tell me to go down to the witch's house that's been killing all the Christians and go lay my hands on them and pray for them, I'll be like, what? Huh? Eh? I don't think I heard that. <laughs> uh-uh. 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 <laughs> but Ananias says, well, God, uh, Okay. So he goes over there and he lays his hands on Saul and Saul suddenly his, his 
his scales fall off his eyes and suddenly he can see things that he's never seen before in the spiritual realm. He starts getting this revelation from God and Paul was a smart guy. And he took everything that Paul had ever done for, me, for evil and he turned it around for his kingdom. See, God wants passionate people like that. Now there's several things that this story tells me. Number one, we as Christians get a little too hoity-toity about who we want to deal with. We don't like dealing with all those low-down people that do sinful, unrighteous stuff. Don't get my hands dirty. And I think God wants us to wake up. I think he wants us to help people that we see suffering. I think he wants to see us become the transformers that Ananias became as he began to speak into Paul's life and growing him up in the faith. We don't know what's going on. We don't know the beginning of the end. The Bible's very clear that all we know is in part. But we have to take the time to understand what God is doing and understand that we must just simply listen to God. When we see people suffering, we don't know the answers. But we can come alongside them and we can pray with them. We may not feel like we're getting visitations from angels telling us what to do, giving us encouragement and guidance, but it's the right thing to do. God's watching over us. He's taking good care of us. The least we could do is reach out to others. And we as the body of Christ need to grow up in that. And now let me tell you something. You know, I don't like even the smallest amount of pain. I don't like to be inconvenienced. There's a lot of things that I don't like. But God has taught me over the years to just get up and do the right thing anyway. But let me just tell you, so, I mean, I can be quite wimpy. I, and I'm a smart girl. I figured out the little smart aleck girl that used to correct my grandfather. <laughs> How silly was that? But, you know, even when I go to the amusement parks, you know, I will watch a ride or I'll go on it once. And I will figure out where is it that you sit that you get crushed the most. And I will make sure that whoever is with me sits in that seat. Have you ever been on a roller coaster and you get off and you feel like, man, I feel like I've been on a, in a car wreck. I mean, I'm bruised, you know, you, you're feeling all, it's like, wow, that, man, that was a ride, you know. And I like roller coasters and the one at um, Disney World or whatever, the indoor one, that's my favorite one. That one's a little bit harder to figure out until you actually get on it once. But I if I like a ride, I'm this one. I get off, I get right back in line and I do it again. I get off, I get right back in line, and I do it again because I like it, okay? And so, you know, after my, my, here's my husband, you know, he's going behind me. Okay, babe, come on, I'm coming. Said, okay, hurry up because you got to get in that seat right there. I know, it's not nice. But that just tells you how, I mean, I don't want to be in pain, but I do like to have fun. <laughs> Everybody wants a cushion. We don't want to suffer, you know. We don't want to do what we don't like. We don't want to do what's uncomfortable. But this is something that God has caused us to go through. 
Point number three, which you're not going to like, God allows suffering. Yeah. There we go, I said it. God allows suffering so that people will turn to him and repent so that they can become more like Christ. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy. You feeling the joy? Come on. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Huh? Do you mean to tell me hard times, suffering, is to grow me into maturity so that I'm lacking nothing? (laughs) Didn't want to hear it, did you? Neither did I. You know, when I had this brain tumor and I was in bed for nine weeks with vertigo before they figured out that it was a brain tumor, because I kept thinking every day, I'm going to be all right now. I'm going to be all right now. You know, and every time it's like, I'm not okay, I'm not okay. And as the weeks go on and the times go on, and you're laying in bed for like way longer than you ever have in your entire life since you've been walking, then you're just like, you start losing heart. You know, the suffering starts getting to you, which is exactly what happens. So they finally figure out it's a brain tumor. So we have to go and we have to find a brain surgeon. I don't need one brain surgeon. I need two, right? Because I'm different. And so they go to the first one, you know, and he's a super nice guy. And he kind of is the guy that does all the work when they get on Park Avenue of your brain. All right. Then you go to the other guy who does the driving of the car that gets you to Park Avenue. In other words, he's the guy that cracks your head open. So when we walk in to talk to him, he just reminded me of like a, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde guy. I'm so glad he doesn't go to church here. But, (laughs) yeah. Oh, this is online. Oh, no. (laughs) But um, anyway, so so he's got this office and he's got all of these things laying around. So he pulls out this box. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to, he's going to, and he's trying to show me what's about to happen when we do surgery. So he gets this box out and he said, okay, you don't have a weak stomach. And I'm thinking, I uh, yes, but no. You, you know, you answer appropriately. You answer according to what you think they're expecting you to say. So I go, oh, no, no. And I'm thinking, oh, no. What's going to come out of this box? <laughs> so he opens the box, and he said, this is a human skull. And I'm thinking, Boop. no. And he starts showing me exactly what he needs to do to get to where my problem is. I'm not liking it at all. I am just, I'm like, I cannot do this. I'm thinking this is just not going to be okay. And then he starts explaining how when we get you in the operating room, we're going to actually put your head in a vice. I said, well, y'all better make sure I am knocked out. I mean, I do not do Hannibal Lecter, you know. This is not going to be a good thing for me. And so they're going to 
They're going to, let me see, they're going to take my head, they're going to screw it to the table, and I cannot get up. Well, you better do a good job, because let me tell, I mean, I got all kinds of thoughts going on. I don't like pain. I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like being in a situation I cannot control. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, through that whole scenario and coming through all of that, and I mean, I've had less symptoms than more people that have come through it. I mean, I have learned there is nothing and there is nobody but God that can be what I need him to be. Let me tell you, all of the things I used to think I could control in life, I just... When he says that you go through suffering, that you might mature, it is absolutely right. And sometimes you don't fully understand that until you have been completely through circumstances that help you to understand that. Finally, we have the story of Job that we absolutely cannot go through without explaining this one. Job. Suffering brings faithful believers into a deeper understanding and relationship with God. Oh, Job. I read the book of Job a million times over when I was going through all of my ordeal. And I just still, I was like, gosh, it's such a horrible story. He lost everything. And he kept wanting to hear from God just, just one thing. Just answer one question, God. Why? Why? He wanted the opportunity just to make life corrections, Lord. What is it? What is it going to take that all of this suffering could just be removed and go away? How, however, you know, you want it done. Just, just however, whatever you want me to do, whatever it is, just tell me. And I will make the corrections because I just want this pain to go away. And you know what? Job 38, 1 through 3 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words, without knowledge? What? God, I'm just trying to find out what I did wrong. I'm just, I mean, yeah, all my friends have said a bunch of stuff. And yes, it's very confusing because, like, they're all telling me I probably sinned. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I probably did. I don't know. And, you know. And then God says, brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Oh. So, Job wants answers and explanations as to why he's suffering And God, all that God is interested in in this whole book, I can tell you because I've read it a bunch of times, he was interested in Job knowing who he is. Mm. He wants Job to know who he is. And it goes into long, drawn-out scriptures about how God is creator of all things. And Job's like, wait a minute, am I guilty or am I innocent? I am the creator of all things. I am the creator of all things, God keeps saying. We walk out our Christian faith with our feet, not with our head. 
Can I just tell you, you may never fully understand why. You may never get an explanation. You may never be told, oh, it was because of this and it was because of that. God just wants you to know who he is. And sometimes until we go through suffering, we do not have a deep down revelation of who he is in his greatness. He teaches us faith in him and power over circumstances. Jesus came only to suffer. And he said, you would take part in my very life just as I did. There's this theological term called hypostatic union. It's like the combination of divine and human nature all wrapped into one single person, which was Jesus Christ. There's not a mixture or a delusion of either one. He was fully both. He was God and he was man. He was hungry in Gethsemane. He had no food. And he was the same one that turned around and fed the 5,000. He said in the Bible, I thirst, and he's the God that walked on water. He will blow your mind. Christ fully understood suffering. He was fully man. He was fully God. He slept through the storm on the ship, and he did not worry. Storms are a reality, but they're not bigger than God's word, because he got up and he spoke to it. He said, let us go to the other side. In other words, don't allow your problem to override the promises that he has given you. Do you understand this is where God shines? This is where he becomes the big mamma jamma? It's through your suffering. It's not about your problem. It's about his ability to speak to your problem. It's about your faith and his ability. That's what it all is. The Bible says, fear the Lord and walk in the fear of the Lord. That it's the beginning of wisdom. Trials are the painful discovery of who you're dealing with. He wants you to understand him in a way that you never have. Fear and concern and suffering, it helps us normalize the reality of tapping into a supernatural God. Is it not that just we haven't gotten used to that yet? Have we just not gotten used to calling on a God that's supernatural and believing that he's going to show up for us in that kind of way? Is that what the problem is? Perhaps it is. When we patiently suffer... God sees. He's moved when we exercise our faith. When we say, God, you are the only way that's going to get me out of this thing. You are the only one that can open a door that no man can shut. You are the only one that can make things happen, God, that I can't see. You're the only one that cares for me and loves me of the deeper parts of, my, of the root of who I am. More than anybody else in this world, God, you are the only one. He responds to that. He's like, fan that faith into flame. It's us saying that we are not God, but he is. As long as you got your stuff all together, well, good. I hope you can keep it that way. Because it doesn't always last. 
True surrender is surrendering your will fully to a God when you are hurting and you do not know which way to go. Not moving away, away from him, but letting him do it from his perspective. What he wants to do. You know, sometimes we sit in prayer and say, God, I need you to do this and this and this and this and this. Just like that. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm believing for great things. I am speaking those things that are not as though they are. Woo. And God's like, wait a minute. It, it, did you pray my will? Uh, did you pray... That I would put you where you go? Did you pray that? What did you pray? Let me ask you this. Are you willing to trust an unshakable God that set things in motion long ago? Long, long ago? That you still see the results of today? Can I tell you that snakes still don't have legs because he said it? <laughs> Are you willing? There are going to be times that we're going to feel like God has clearly forgotten us. God, you've forgotten me, Lord. Surely you wouldn't let me suffer like this. I hurt so bad. I know. Let me ask you this. Have you had a rough childhood? Fear that you can't move past? Grief from a loss that you just can't seem to get rid of? Embarrassing mistakes, addiction, financial issues, marriage, relational issues, personal failures, stuff you just don't even want to tell anybody ever? Health issues, problems with kids, things that you just can't fix? He said, that's where I shine. When you suffer, I respond to that. 